Hello everybody and welcome to Overtime. My name is Connor Durkin and we are very happy to be bringing Overtime back for its second year after such a long, long summer. Today to kick off our first episode of the year, we have Bears wide receiver coach Mike Fury coming in to answer a few questions. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hello and welcome back to Overtime. My name is Connor Durkin. Alongside me today, Michaela Fury. Today we are honored to have Bears wide receiver coach Mike Fury with us. Before we can get to Coach Fury, though, we want to take a few moments to explain how lucky we are to have him as a guest and what we will try to do each team each time we can have him join us. Michaela, would you like to explain a little more about that? Yeah, thanks, Connor. So Coach Fury is my dad, and football has been a big part of my life since I was born. What it took for my dad to play in the position that he played and coach in the position that he coaches now did not just happen overnight. Trust me, it didn't. So many athletes like my father have amazing stories of perseverance, and our hope is to share those stories with you guys. Yeah, and in time like times like these, it's always good to have a story like this to rally around. So without further ado, Coach, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. So, Coach, if you don't mind, take us back to the beginning, growing up, doing what you love, and playing football in Hilliard, Ohio. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I grew up a, a huge basketball, baseball fan. I didn't really ever uh, think about getting involved in football, but uh, my freshman year in high school. I had a couple buddies of mine that came to my house and drug me out of my house uh, to take me to go do some conditioning. And I loved conditioning and I loved working. And so uh, it somehow ended up being a football practice and I kept staying around and ended up playing football. So coach, I got a quick question. Have you ever heard of Youngstown, Ohio? I have. I've played in Youngstown. Ohio. Oh, really? Okay. That's where my dad grew up when. Yep. So I played in the igloo. Oh, really? Yeah. Youngstown State. That's right. Yeah. That's that's cool. So you were in high school, state runner-up for Mr. Ohio football, right? I was, to Charles Woodson. Yeah. But you still didn't get a D1 scholarship. So tell me, what led you to coming to Ohio State your first year? You know, well, uh, Connor, the opportunity that I had in high school just to, you know, continuing to play the game of football, uh, you know, my skills developed you know, year in and year out. And so I got to the point my senior year where I felt like I could play college football. And uh, when you grow up 10, 15 minutes away from Ohio State, that's kind of like the only thing that you want to do growing up as a kid. And so, um, you know, football obviously at that time was the best sport that I probably was athletically ready for. And Ohio State being 10, 12 minutes down the road, that's who I wanted to play for. And that was a goal. And so, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, I'm sure your dad would tell you this, when you're from Ohio and you're a young kid growing up, you know, you wore scarlet and gray every weekend, especially during football season. And that was kind of like uh, a goal for a lot of kids to go do. And so that was one of mine and, and it became possible uh, my senior season, uh, my senior, my senior year while I was playing football in the spring uh, when I was given a chance to walk on at Ohio State. And then um, in high school, just out of curiosity, you played wide receiver, but what, did you play any other positions? I did. I played I played uh, safety and I uh, played a little bit of corner throughout high school, but I played I, I primarily played wide out and then safety my senior year. Okay. And then also 
when you, you did make Ohio State, but then you transferred to Iowa. Tell me a little bit about that uh, transition you had. Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I, I really, long story short, I just really physically developed over two years when I was at Ohio State. I went from being a real skinny, shrawny, uh, scrawny looking kid, uh, really, really thin, wasn't really that big, wasn't really that fast. But, you know, statistically, it was, you know, like I said, in high school, it was happening. But uh, I just didn't have that, you know, coming out of high school. And two years later, I developed it through, you know, working hard, weightlifting, got into a weight program, got in where I was eating regularly every day. And so I physically developed. Uh, I became the third fastest kid on the team at Ohio State after my second year and broke some records in regards to my quickness. And so I just felt like it was an opportunity to get a scholarship. And uh, at that time, Ohio State wasn't ready to give me one. And at that time, Connor, to be honest with you, I, I just my, my goal then became uh, to play in the NFL. And it wasn't really to play at Ohio State anymore like it was when I was growing up because I wanted to kind of have, you know, I had bigger goals then. And uh, so I got a phone call to go to northern Iowa and um, and play football there and, and got a got offered a full a full scholarship uh, to play football and to start right away. And I, I couldn't pass that up. And I just wanted to keep playing the game, and and so I went off and headed to Northern Iowa. So, Coach, you had no award, and you didn't get a D1 scholarship, and then you didn't get drafted. Was there ever a point throughout that period of time where you thought football wasn't for you? Yeah, you know, it's really crazy, you know, not not to mention any accolades, but when you're a three-time All-American in college, you kind of think that you might have a chance to be in the NFL, and uh you know, it just, and it didn't happen. It was kind of, it was kind of a, just kind of like coming out of high school again, where nobody really wanted you in regards to division one. So you had to go walk on and now I would, you know, I'm entering in the NFL draft and, and nobody ended up drafting me. And, and uh, fortunately I was, I was fortunate enough after, before the draft was over to have about 10 or 12 teams that I got a chance to select from that I could go to uh, as a free agent. And, um, but I, I don't think, I don't think the the road bumps or not being drafted or walking on and all those things. It just never. I think that always made me tougher. You know, it always it always. Uh, you know, I, I guess the, the good Lord puts you through experiences in your life to to kind of build you up, to make you a stronger person, to to put you through those trials, those tribulations, like the Bible talks about, so that you can become one of His warriors or you can become one of His men. And and I just always felt like that, and so I just kind of took all the. The, the, the things that I might have wanted that didn't come true uh, and there was a different path laid out for me. I just kind of took that path thinking that this is what God's, you know, this was God's will. And and um, that's what I was going to do full bore and kind of worked out. So you signed with the Colts after the draft, correct? I did. I did. My first quarterback, Connor, first guy I ever potted, caught a ball from in the NFL was Peyton Manning. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So crazy. <laughs> that's pretty neat. <laughs> so... Moving on a little bit past Indianapolis, you signed with uh, the New York Dragons um, or in the Arena Football League or AFL, and that's where you met Matt Nagy, future future boss. Um, tell me a little bit about that relationship you guys built because you guys were also roommates, correct? Yeah, it was really weird. You know, I was uh, you know once I got released from the Indianapolis Colts, I spent a year in the XFL with uh, Vince McMahon, uh, played in Las Vegas, and then that season was over. I uh, went home, started building homes. I started, I framed homes in the off season and, and I uh, went back and was framing some homes and got a chance to go to play arena ball in New York. 
uh, arena at that time. The New York Dragons at that time had just moved to New York. They were uh, they were actually their their original home was in Iowa, the Iowa Barnstormers, and so Kurt Warner played for them when I was in college, and then they moved when Kurt went into the St. Louis Rams. The Iowa Barnstormers moved to New York Dragons, and so they called, and I ended up going out there. And then my second year out there, uh, we needed a we needed a backup quarterback, and I had a I had a room available in my house, and and uh, they they called and said, hey, we got a backup quarterback coming in. His name's Matt Nagy, and so uh, you know it was kind of weird because I was the guy at that time, and he was he was the backup quarterback, and so uh, you know obviously some great stories, but. Uh, obviously, you, you know, one valuable lesson that I've always learned in life is, is, uh, you know, you better treat, uh, you, you better treat the same people, uh, you, you know, you better treat all people the same, uh, because the same people, you know, the people that you meet on the way up are going to be the same people that you meet on the way back down. And I, and I've always, I've always take that, uh, take that to heart in regards to you, you, you never know what life's going to bring in. And, you know, in that situation where I might've been the star player of an arena football team and, the backup quarterback that nobody ever knows uh, that ever knew about at that time, you know, 15 years later is now the head football coach of the Chicago bears, you know, so you, you just never know. That's why you need to treat all people the same. And uh, cause you never know where, or when you're going to meet those people again, or are the relationships that you build with them or how they perceive you or how they, you know, how they think of you because of how you treated them. Uh, what a valuable lesson. Cause obviously uh, when I retired and, and was trying, you know, trying to get back in the NFL, you know, a good buddy of mine that was a roommate happened to be the head coach of the Chicago Bears called. And and uh, because of those relationships and that trust, you know, that respect that we have for each other uh, gave me an opportunity to come to Chicago. Yeah, that's right. You, you never know who's going to be that guy. Um, so you did eventually sign with the St. Louis Rams. Tell me one difference you noticed right away to NFL. Well, I think at that time, to be honest with you, Connor, I had bounced around a couple of training camps. Uh, when I showed up to the St. Louis Rams, I really had the confidence that I belonged in the NFL. Uh, I had a beautiful wife at the time that I had to start supporting and a family that we were hoping to have someday soon. And so uh, I think my mindset, my maturity was completely different. Uh, my mindset was completely different. And um, and so obviously, uh, you know, that 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 kind of pushed me through the St. Louis and pushed me through the beginning of getting in and, and starting a career and, and uh, ended up having a pretty good career. In 2003, when you signed with the Rams, who was that one person your first season that kind of took you under their wing and guided you? Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't really know this, but, you know, when I was in the New York Dragons, like I had mentioned to you guys earlier, you know, Kurt Warner played for the Iowa Barnstormers. And so, the same administration that was with Kurt in Iowa just moved to New York. And so when I got to New York, uh, you know, they, they, these guys called Kurt and said, Hey, you guys need, you need to check out this kid that down here is playing for us. He, he needs to play with you guys on Sundays. And so uh, Kurt Warner uh, actually came out to a game and saw me play and actually took me back to St. Louis with him. That's kind of how I signed with the St. Louis Rams. And so Kurt was always a guy, you know, I was just talking to him the other day, you know, Kurt, Kurt's, Kurt's always been that guy, especially in the beginning, that has has given me a chance. And then obviously was was a great role model and a mentor for me uh, my early years of being in St. Louis. From 2003 to 2010, what was the most memorable game of your career? 
I thought you were going to say what was the most memorable thing. I said, I'm looking at her. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, our, our, obviously, as you know, Michaela, in 2006, our big year in Detroit, we had a lot of great memories and a lot of big games. But, uh, you know, the playoff games that you get involved with, uh, the playoff games that we got involved with in St. Louis, this the atmosphere, the the Connor, the, the you know, you see a regular season game in the NFL, they're pretty, they're pretty crazy, especially when you yeah. play in them. But let me tell you what, when you play in a playoff game, it's like uh, it's like you're the you're the there's eleven you're you're there's twenty two guys out on the field of a rock concert. I mean it's just it's crazy. And so those playoff games are really really awesome to be in. And you know in '03 we had a chance we had a good football team we had a chance to actually go to the Super Bowl and uh, we fell a couple games short. But just to having that aura and all that excitement and and all that stuff it was pretty sweet. And then in 2010 when you got your concussion, how did that affect your life? Well, I think it happened at a good time. You know, I was, I was 30 some years old. So once you hit the big three zero in the NFL, you're considered old. And so, uh, you know, it was right on the verge of retirement anyway. So it happened at a good time. And I think it just kind of solidified that it was time to, you know, I've been obviously really fortunate and blessed to be on an unbelievable journey with the football and following the football around from when I was in high school and, you know, that, that football has taken my family, our family, you know, all over the country, all over the world, to be honest with you. And so at that time, it was just uh, completely at peace. And the, the injury just kind of solidified that it was time to time to retire. So with all that being said, what made you really want to become a coach after retirement? You know, that's a great question. Uh, you know, my father-in-law was a head football coach at a high school back in Columbus, Ohio, at Jonathan Alder High School really my last four or five years of playing. And, uh, you know, my last four out of the five years, uh, we were only about two and a half hours from home. You know, rather we lived in Detroit or we lived in Cleveland. And so in the off season, uh, Connor, I got a chance to, to go back home. We lived at, we had a house back there. And so I got a chance to go back home and started training a lot of kids in the off season. And uh, I, I really, even though I had three or four years left to play, I, I literally had, uh, more fun training these kids and then following these kids' careers uh, as they went back to school than I really did ha on my own, you know, going to play for myself. And so at that time, I really knew I had a passion for helping these kids and wanting to coach these kids. And obviously, you know, not to get into our whole story, but when you play on special teams, when you played and started on defense in the NFL, when you played and started on offense in the NFL – you know, you, you, there's a reason why the good Lord's allowed you to do that. And so a lot of that is just the experience and those experiences you give back to kids, you know. And so uh, I knew before I even retired the last three or four years that when I wanted when I retired, my goal was uh, to be a to be a football coach. You said you started off with, you know, coaching all those kids who were oh, you have any names, some kids that, you know, took that advice from you. They're all, they're all the babysitters of Michaela and her brother. Oh, really? That, you know, you know, these kids, uh, you know, the Scotty Palmers, the Jack, Jesse Contras, uh, you, you know, the Zach Rabers, um, Chris Pollocks. I mean, there, there was a lot of kids that, uh, that we really got affiliated with that went, you know, that played for my father-in-law and that went on and went to, you know, Zach Page, just, just tons of kids that actually played the game for him that I really became close with, uh, you know, while I was playing and they were playing. And so 
you know, obviously they mean a lot to our family. We trusted them enough to babysit our kids. Which was not a good uh, choice. It was I not good. Them, <laughs> they should have stuck with some football. Some of them weren't, but uh, no, they, they, were all, uh, they were all great kids. So before you came to the Bears, you were coaching in college. What is your favorite memory uh, from your coaching days at college? Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, when you're when you get to coach college football, you get a chance to be around kids that are that are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old that are really just learning how to be, you know, adults, you know. And so the relationships is what's awesome in college. Uh, you really have an opportunity, not that you don't hear, but you really have an opportunity to be that father figure and a huge impact in those kids lives. And so uh, being in college, being able to do that and then. Have, you know, being able to share all the bowl game trips with my family, you know, going on trips with my family to rather it was Washington, D.C. or down to, to uh, Tampa Bay or, you know, down to uh, Boca Raton. I mean, those bowl game trips, uh, spending a week somewhere with your family around Christmas time and yet you're preparing for a football game. It's pretty sweet. So this next question is sort of actually for both of you guys. So I think both of you guys would have good answers oh. in 2018. When Matt Nagy did call you up, where were both of you guys when that occurred? Or when it <laughs> you want to go, go ahead, first, sir. or do you want me to yeah. answer? Go ahead. Um, so I just got home from school, and my mom handed me a limestone, or not a limestone, a Bears coach. I thought you meant college, and was like, Michaela, we're moving, and I was like, <laughs> again. But then I was so happy because I knew that it was a dream of like my dad's to be a coach in the NFL and get to there. So I let his happiness override mine at that moment. And then I was like, let's do this thing. Yeah, it's, it was, uh, you know, I was sitting in the gym, Connor. I was at my boys basketball practice and, and I was just sitting there uh, watching them practice. And I was just sitting by myself too. And uh, I looked down, my phone was ringing or vibrating or whatnot. And I looked down and said Matt Nagy on it. And so I just picked it up. And and uh, so I, I was at a, a local elementary sitting in the bleachers by myself, watching my boys uh, practice, uh, play basketball. And uh, that's how it happened. What was the transition like for you from going from a small town school in South Carolina to the Chicago Bears? Yeah, you know, it probably would be pretty extreme for some people. You know, obviously, you know, being around the NFL and playing in the NFL for eight years or really chasing a dream for 10 to 12 years, but really playing for eight, you know, we, it was probably made it a little bit easier that we've been around this. This has kind of been our life for, you know, for so long. Uh, I would say it was probably a little bit more different when we walked away from the NFL and went to college uh, instead of, you know, instead of coming from college to the NFL. But, it, you know, it's still there's – there's uh you know, you still pinch yourself every day that the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you get to wake up and go coach for this, you know, the historical Chicago bears. I mean, all the history that comes in and out of this city, the the Chicago bulls, the the Cubs, the white Sox, just the sports town it is in general. I mean, one of this is obviously the largest sports market for one football team, you know? And, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely been great. And it's definitely, different than college, but uh, we'll we'll take it for sure. Now, do you mind walking us through a day in the life, like from when you wake up in the morning to when you fall asleep? 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I wake up, uh, try to get up about 4.45 in the morning and uh, try not to wake my daughter up when I pass her room to head down the steps. And uh, I try to go get a workout in for about 45 minutes in the basement, come back up and, and uh, grab a little protein shake and, and some, you know, little, you know, berries or whatnot, grab some breakfast and get in the car and, and head to work. I try to be to work, try to be at work between 6.15 and 6.30 uh, when I get here, shower up, get ready to go for the day, grab some more breakfast. It's good to eat. And, uh, and then, and then we're at it, you know, we're, we're at it, you know, from seven to nine o'clock or whatever it is in the morning, we're preparing for meetings, getting ready for meetings from nine o'clock, really till, um, you know, till, till 11, 15, really till about noon, you know, we're in meetings with our guys. Um, you know, then we get a little lunch break and then right after lunch break about one o'clock or so, one thirty we're on the football field for practice. And so, you know, you get a couple hour practice in uh, about four, four thirty in the afternoon, we're back in meetings again, post-practice meetings, watching, uh, watching practice, going through all that for an hour. And then the guys are really done. Uh, you know, we go home, go up, shower up, get ready for, uh, get ready for our, our meetings, our staff meetings. And then once our staff meetings are over, uh, we're getting ready for the next day, whatever, you know, rather it's a third down day, red zone day, or whatever it is, we're, we're getting ready for the next day. And so that's continuous there on Wednesday, Thursday, and really Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, Tuesday being where you're really in a lot of meetings. But Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's really what we do uh, right there. So after yesterday's game against Detroit, what was it like for the coaching staff and the players having no fans there? Yeah, you know what, it was, there, it was, uh, it was, disappointing i should say one because when you walk out in front of 40 or 60,000 people to play a game of football obviously uh, the electric that's in the air you know the electricity that's in the air is just you can't explain it you know you really can't and so you you totally miss that uh when you walk out um on the other hand it was it was uh it was actually kind of pretty neat to where the communication between everybody, I didn't have to yell. You know, I'm sure my daughter heard me on TV a little bit. You but yelled. I didn't have to yell uh, as loud. Uh, the guys heard, you know, it was good to communicate. It was really neat because you could hear, you could hear the defense talking too or the offense talking. You know, it wasn't like you couldn't hear them anymore because the crowd was covering up. But it was pretty neat from that standpoint. But obviously, I would never have, I would never trade the game to where you couldn't walk out in front of your fans and, and all the, all the people that come to support you and, and uh, you know, that that's where that, that's the biggest thing right now that we're missing in this game. Did they have um, any like artificial noise or anything? Because when it was broadcasted, they would, you know, put like crowd noise in or something. Did they have any of that there? Yeah. From, so from what I know, uh, the, the, the crowd noise that you guys heard on TV is, is we don't hear that. Um, but what they do have in the stadium is they do have a noise that they can turn up to a certain decibel that that is constant or whatnot as we play. And so, but it's not the up and down or the rising or what you're hearing on TV from what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause you know, it's always, it's so weird cause the crowd is always at its loudest when you're in the red zone. So it's easier, yeah. way easier to communicate, you know, when you don't have that factor. Yeah. We, we were, we were talking about this last night with the family, how, how the, uh, it really, it, it, what it's doing right now is really taking away the home field advantage, like what you're saying when it's fourth and one in the, in the red zone and the crowd's just going crazy and it's hard to communicate as an offense, you know, and you're on the road and you're trying to get the snap count and, you know, all that stuff is, it's, uh, 
that's definitely something that's being missed from home teams, uh, you know, on when you're on the road. Okay, Coach, that's uh, all we have for you today. Thanks for giving us your time and good luck next week uh, against New York. Another thanks to our viewers for coming in today, watching. Uh, thanks for watching. We hope you guys tune in to the next one. Thank you, Coach. Okay. Thank Sounds you so good, much. guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Stay blessed.